C.S. Lewis has a story that tells, uh, I come back to often. He says, imagine that in your town there was a building kind of on the outskirts of town. Imagine uh, that people went to this building, they had to pay to get in. When they came in, they entered kind of a dingy, low-lit room with a stage and a whole bunch of chairs pushed up as close to that stage as possible. People would come in and sit down, and then the lights would dim even further, and then a man would walk out onto stage with a platter with a lid over it, and he would walk out. Uh, There would be a podium in the middle of the stage. He would place the platter on the podium, and he would very, very slowly take the lid off the platter to reveal a cheeseburger and fries underneath, and people would lose their minds And they would throw money on the stage in honor of this cheeseburger and fries until the man thought they'd had enough, and he closed the lid of the platter, and he carried the hamburger off the stage. Now, if you lived in such a world, you would think that these people have a strange relationship with food, would you not? Yeah, kind of weird. Now, Lewis uses this as a metaphor, though um, I have to say Lewis lived before the Food Network existed. And so he might use it as like an actual thing today. In any case, um, his point was there are a number of places where we have weird relationships with things uh, that perhaps we don't even notice. We're like the fish that don't notice the water they're swimming in. Uh, He has a particular thing in mind with that illustration, but it seems to me um, that there are a number of these aspects of our lives that we have weird relationships with. So, um, most people in here probably have a house or a condo or an apartment or some place in which they live, and everybody needs a place to live, Um, but most people in this room have also heard of um, this TV channel. Uh, It is something that I can watch for hours and hours on end. It is something playing in every doctor's office and dentist office I've been to for the last I don't know, 10 years. Um, This is a place called HGTV. Have we heard of this? Yeah? Okay. Uh, And and the whole idea is, hey, let's look at these amazing houses that are so incredible or these uh, lavish renovations that are happening. I'll probably never do that to my house, but I just want to see what's out there, right? And I wonder if Lewis would say, hey, that's kind of weird, right? Like you already have a place to stay. Why do you got to watch shows about other people's places to stay. Uh, We have um, car magazines. We have lists of the most wealthy people in the world. We have these weird breaks in the midst of other television shows where people come on our screens and tell us we will be happier if we spend money to buy whatever, right? And I think Lewis might say, I think maybe we should notice we have a weird relationship with money, don't we? We have a weird relationship with our stuff. Tim Keller, uh, the late, great Tim Keller, um, at one point was doing a teaching series on the seven deadly sins. I think this was for like a men's breakfast. So he was doing uh, one week on each of the seven deadly sins. And his wife, Kathy, said to him, I really want to be there the day that you talk about greed because I bet you it's the lowest attendance of all. Sure enough, she was right. He says that they packed the house for lust and wrath, and pride. Everybody wanted to talk about those. He said the greed day was their lowest attendance of all of the seven deadly sins because nobody thinks they're greedy. 
Tim says, as a pastor, I've had people come to me and confess that they struggle with almost every kind of sin. Almost. I cannot recall anyone ever coming to me and saying, I spend too much money on myself. I think my greedy lust for money is harming my family, my soul, and people around me. Tim says, greed hides itself from the victim. The money God's modus operandi includes blindness to your own heart. This is our um, secret sin, right? This is like the water we swim in that we don't notice because we're the fish living in the sea. Uh, I think if you asked a hundred Christians today if our culture had a problem with materialism, a hundred Christians would say, yeah, we have a weird relationship with stuff. I think if you asked a hundred Christians if greed was one of their top two or three sins, 99 of them would say no. Like, we got a problem. It's just that I don't have a problem, right? I'm doing fine. So this man comes up to visit Jesus. A lot of good things going for this rich man. We're told, number one, uh, that he runs to Jesus and he kneels at his feet. And he calls him good, tov, your tov. That this is like really positive stuff. Jesus has this weird side where he says, hey, why are you calling me good? I think Jesus is trying to see if this guy understands who he really is. Um, Then this guy says, hey, Jesus, I want to inherit eternal life. What do I have to do? And Jesus um, lists some of the commandments. Okay, two quick asides. One, you notice that Jesus only lists six commandments, not ten. Uh, the six commandments he lists are the second tablet. So we often think about, you know, Moses coming down with two stone tablets. Now, we don't know what was written on what tablet, but we usually think about the first tablet, the first four commandments, as the commandments about loving God. And the second tablet, the next six commandments, the commandments about loving our neighbor, okay? And so it's only the loving our neighbor commandments that Jesus quotes. Here's the other fun fact. Jesus gets the commandments wrong. It's a little bit awkward for the Son of God. Like, hopefully his rabbi is not watching. Um, So he he lists, honor your father and mother, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. And he says, don't defraud. What's the last commandment? You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Covet your neighbor's stuff, right? So I don't think Jesus gets him wrong accidentally. Um, I think perhaps Jesus knows that this rich guy doesn't have a lot of need to covet. Maybe defrauding might be more relevant for him. I don't know. Ask Jesus when you see him what happened in this moment. I don't really know. So, uh, Jesus looks at this man and loves him. And then he says, you lack one thing. Sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Jesus is trying to communicate to this guy um, that it is literally and spiritually his stuff that is holding him back from following Jesus wherever he goes. Jesus is not interested in being this man's teacher. He wants to be this man's Savior. And Jesus says, hey, you know what? The one thing that you're missing is the one problem that nobody has, right? It's that, hey, your stuff has a hold on your heart. So, Jesus goes on to talk to the disciples after this man leaves, and He says some really intense things, right? It's easier for a rich man, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Um, By the way, you've heard that there was like 
uh, an eye of the needle gate in Jerusalem. And that, there's no such thing. He's talking about one of those small pieces of metal that you use for cloth, okay? Camel big, needle small, you get it. Um, Jesus says um, how hard it will be for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are shocked. Here's why they're shocked. Because they've read Deuteronomy chapter 28. They know and have been taught their whole lives that our wealth is a sign of our blessing from God, right? Isn't that what Moses said? Blessed will be the fruit of your womb, your children, but also blessed will be the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of your field, right? That's all your stuff, right? God's going to watch out for you and take care of all of your things. And so, in the Jewish tradition, the idea of being rich was usually connected to righteousness, right? We assume that God has blessed you with wealth because you've been obedient to God, right? It's a, it's a if-then statement. If you're good, God will bless you. If you're bad, God will punish you. And, and this is the, the great challenge that the disciples are struggling with. It's our great challenge as well. The reason we don't see our greed or my greed as a problem is because we see it as a positive. We see it as a positive, just like the disciples did. I read an internet meme this week that said, if a monkey hoarded more bananas than it could eat while most of the other monkeys starved, scientists would study that monkey to figure out what the heck was wrong with it. When humans do it, we put them on the cover of Forbes. It's not wrong, right? Jesus says, um, guys, I understand. I mean, Jesus has read Moses, right? I understand this idea of blessing, um, but here's what you need to understand. The Old Testament promises are physical foreshadowing of spiritual realities, right? All of this stuff about God blessing and giving you more wealth was a way for you to begin to understand what happens when God's presence is with you, right? Let me take you to another level, Jesus says. No one has ever been more present to God than Jesus. No one's ever been closer to God than Jesus. He is the beloved one. He is the blessed one. But Jesus, by His own admission, um, is homeless throughout His three years of ministry. Jesus doesn't have any money. Like, there's a common purse that the disciples share, uh, and Judas is the one who doles out the money when they need to buy food or whatever they need to pay for. Jesus doesn't even have His own bank account. Jesus has nothing in the way of financial blessings as the disciples would have defined them. And so, there is this ongoing disconnect for the disciples between the way they think and the way Jesus is. And we have this same disconnect. This is our struggle, right? This is why all the temptations for the disciples are still temptations for us. What makes Jesus blessed is that He had literally everything. He had the whole world in His hands, and He gave it up to become human, to become born the illegitimate son of a Jewish builder or carpenter, and then to live a life of um, poverty, and then to die on a cross. What makes Jesus blessed is this incredible generosity with which He lives His life. And so, our thinking is so inverted, right? Our thinking is, I'm blessed, I have so much. Jesus says, it's not having treasure that makes us blessed, it's giving it away. 
It's not holding on to our stuff that makes us like Jesus. It's handing it out. So, I want to suggest two really simple steps that we ought to take if we want to be aware of this uh, culture in which we live, uh, this this water in which we're swimming. Uh, Two really simple steps that we need to take if we want to follow Jesus out of this temptation to accumulation. The first one is seeing greed as my problem. It's not somebody else's problem. It's not that rich person's problem on the cover of Forbes. It's my problem. I use a website called mint.com as a budgeting tool. It's a, I think it's done by like the Intuit tax people, but anyway, it's free. And I can go on there. I put my, you know, my investments and my credit cards and my house and um, my bank account on there, and it'll just show me everything that I own, and I can do budgeting. It's super slick. Uh, And at the very top, on the top left-hand side, it says net worth. And there's a number there that makes me feel really good about myself, right? Net worth. There's a number. I was thinking about that this week. What an interesting idea, right? That my worth is that number. Um, you know the word worship has the same root as the word worth? In Old English, it was worth-ship, right? Worth-ship, and we just dropped the T-H. Um, the idea of worship is to say, hey, um, what is the worth, the worthiness of something? And I recognize that however big or small my number is in comparison to yours or or. I don't know, uh, Elon Musk's, Um, as long as that number defines my worth, I have a problem. As long as that number defines how worthy I am, I have a problem. Because I want my worth to be somehow connected to something other than what I have, and certainly not connected to what I've earned. And then I have to ask, what defines how much I esteem the worth of God? What defines how much I esteem the worth of my neighbor? See, this is the thing. It's not that having money is bad. Having money is just a temptation to esteem my worth above somebody else's and above God's. So, so my first thing, this is just so simple. I don't care what your number is. Uh, if you are tempted to define yourself by it, if you are tempted to define yourself in comparison to someone else, you are in the same boat as me, and this is a problem that you struggle with, right? Let's just own it. It's not them. It's us. Second thing uh, that I think we need to do if we want to move forward um, with Jesus on this topic, uh, we need a third thought. So, uh, stay with me for a second. Uh, I had a, I had a, a one of my like shining moments at youth group this week, every now and then, like the Holy Spirit gives you something really good to say. So we were having a conversation on Wednesday night with our middle school and high school students about the resurrection, like what happens in the new heaven and the new earth, what it's going to be like. And one of the students said, hey, are we going to like, like what are we going to look like in the resurrection? And hey, this is a little awkward, but in the Garden of Eden, they didn't wear clothes. So we're going to wear clothes in heaven or not because that makes me feel uncomfortable. And I said, ooh, I love this question. It's so good. So I said, first of all, um, I think there's three thoughts here, okay? The first thought is the what. Like, what's it going to be like? And it's a great question. I think if we're at the resurrection and we are in our resurrection bodies, um, I'm going to see you and I'm going to think, I might not know how old you are, but I'm going to think the, the what of you is amazing, right? 
wow, you are handsome. Wow, you are beautiful. If you're wearing clothes, they're like the best clothes I've ever seen. And if you're not, I'm just thinking of happy good things, right? Um, and, and I think that's awesome. I think in that moment it'll be, hey, I just can't get over how majestic and Christ-like you are. But then there's the second thought, right? And the second thought is, what about me? This is the thought we can't get away from in this world. This is why the idea of, of being naked in heaven is terrifying. Well, um, maybe you look good, but what if, like, I'm having a bad hair day or year or life? Um, you know, what if I don't want to be um, all exposed? Um, what about me? The second thought, the what about me thought, is a thought we don't have in the resurrection. This is what makes the resurrection different from our life on earth. We don't ever have the what about me thought, right? but we can't get away from it here. I mean, that's the challenge. We just can't. In this life, there's always that second thought of what about me? So um, here's the key. We need a third thought, right? and the third thought is, okay, yes, what about me, but what about Jesus? Wow. That is an amazing house. The architect that designed it did an incredible job. It takes my breath away. It is just beautiful. Ah, what about me? My house doesn't look like that. I may never live in a house like that. I wish I had a house like that. What about Jesus? Jesus didn't even have the house that I have. Jesus gave me the house that I have so that I could do not just life but ministry out of it. How am I using what I have for the sake of the kingdom of God? The, Boy, there's somebody in need. The what? Boy, I see their need. I know they're struggling. I know they need help. But what about me? What if I don't have enough? What if I give money to help them and there's not enough money to help me when I need it? But what about Jesus? Jesus says, He's going to take care of me. Um, and I have the privilege of taking care of someone else. It, it's that third thought, right? The what about Jesus thought that helps me move out of my selfishness and my self-centeredness that moves me from the question, how much of my money shall I use for God, to the question, how much of God's money shall I use for myself? It moves us from the question, what can I spare, to the question Jesus asked, what will it take? So, I, I came across… Um, I didn't come across. Um, I watch this all the time. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of A Christmas Carol. Charles Dickens is A Christmas Carol, right? There are a bunch of good versions of A Christmas Carol, but the best version I think we all know is the Muppet Christmas Carol, obviously. Uh, and at the end of the Muppet Christmas Carol, Ebenezer Scrooge um, sings this incredible song. So you probably all know the story, but if you don't, in brief, Ebenezer Scrooge is this incredibly self-centered, greedy man. He's rich and he's greedy. He loves his money but nothing else. He defines his worth by what he has, right? And then he has this incredible experience and he realizes that that's a poor way to live his life. And he wakes up the next morning and it's Christmas morning. And so he sets out to right all of the wrongs. And in this clip I'm going to show you, right before this clip, he goes up to this charity that he had been incredibly rude to, and he makes this incredible donation to them uh, to, to forward their ministry. Uh, and then we're going to pick up with what happens next. I just wish there was something we could give you. Ooh, ooh, ooh. A gift? A gift for me? Thank you. Thank you. Fifty times. And a Merry Christmas. Here's your turkey, Mr. Scrooge. Follow me, lad. 
With a thankful heart, with an endless joy, with a growing family, every girl and boy will be nephew and niece to me. Nephew and niece to me. We'll bring love, hope, and peace to me. Love, hope, and peace to me. Yes, and every night will end, and every day will start with a grateful prayer and a thankful heart. With an open smile and with open doors I will bid you welcome what is mine is yours With a glass raised to toast your health With a glass raised to toast your health And a promise to share the wealth Promise to share the wealth I will sail a friendly course File a friendly child On a sea of love and a thankful heart Life is like a journey when it ends Yes, and if you need to know the measure of a man You simply count his friends So good. Okay, I want to keep singing, but um, <laughs> if you want to know the measure of a man we measure his worth not on what he owns but on who he loves. Right? This is why, ooh, this is good. This is why Jesus' worth is incalculable. Right? It's not because of what He has as the maker of the universe. It's because of how He loves as the maker of the universe. With a thankful heart, with an endless joy, with a growing family, every girl and boy will be nephew and niece to me, will be love, hope, and peace to me. And Peter says to Jesus, look, we've left everything to follow you. And Jesus says, truly I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and in fields with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus says, if you can get past that second thought, what about me? with your stuff, even, even with your family, even with the people that you love. You can get past the, oh no, that's my family and my kids. We don't have time for others. If you can, if you can somehow recognize that we give it all back to the one who's given us everything, then we get back our family and we get back our stuff and we get back all of the blessings that God wanted to give us, not in their uh, temptation to sin, but a hundred times in their eternal value. And every girl and boy becomes nephew and niece to me. The temptation to the second thought, the what about me thought, is so strong. But guys, with money, it is particularly potent. We've been taught that greed is positive, not a problem. We've been taught that this water we swim in is just always there. And if it is a problem, it's certainly not mine. The temptation is strong, but follow Jesus and ask, what about Jesus, for He will lead us not into temptation. Thanks be to God. Amen.